Chapter Seven of Carpenter's Geographical Reader, Africa by Frank G. Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The City of Tunis. We have come by railroad from Constantine to the city of Tunis, the capital of Tunis, and the largest city in Africa, with the exception of Alexandria and Cairo. Tunis is almost as large as Wisconsin with a population of about two millions it is like parts of algeria and the inhabitants are not very different it is under the protection of the french and we shall meet many french officials and soldiers the country still has a native ruler called the bay but his powers are few and he has to do as the french governor directs on our way to the city of tunis we ride by rich pastures upon which donkeys sheep cattle and camels are feeding watched by men women and children we pass many fields of wheat barley and oats where dark-skinned people are cultivating the crops frequently seeing a great ungainly camel drawing a plough now we are in mountains where there are forests of cork trees and now in valleys spotted with olive orchards fig trees and groves of date palms when our train stops at a station arab women bring fresh water and fruit to the cars and we lay in a stock of oranges figs and dates to eat on the train the track winds its way in and out through the valley of a small river and passing over a wide plain spotted with brackish lakes brings to our view the great white flat-roofed city of tunis tunis is situated on an isthmus between two shallow salt lakes not far from the gulf of tunis it is connected with the gulf by a canal so that ships come right through to the town the city proper is almost surrounded by walls and at its back are hills covered with villas and gardens it has four wide streets and we drive in carriages from the railroad station to the hotel there we leave our baggage and start out for a donkey tour of exploration each of us has an arab boy running behind to urge on his steed and we go on the gallop from one part of the place to another tunis has a population of about two hundred thousand made up of moors arabs turks egyptians negroes jews and people from europe and the islands of the mediterranean we make our way through the french quarter which is like similar parts of the algerian cities and then direct our donkey boys to take us through the maltese jewish and arab quarters and then on into the bazaars how interesting it is we are riding in and out of a throng of people as curiously clad as in a great masquerade notice that strange creature dressed all in white with a black veil hiding almost the whole front of her person now she holds up the veil with both hands and peeps out below it making her way through the streets without her face being seen she is a mohammedan and therefore hides her face from all men but her husband the fat woman a little farther on in jacket and trousers with no veil at all is a jewess she is the wife of a rich merchant and her excessive plumpness is counted a sign of beauty and wealth the man behind her with the heavy black rope tied around his head is an arab and the hooded man with him is a moor see how that great bearded turk in the black gown green turban and red slippers is scowling at us he is a mohammedan sheik and he does not like christians green was the favorite color of the prophet mohammed 
and the sheik has the right to wear that turban because he has been to mecca where mohammed was born there are many berbers that tall gaunt arab has just come in from the desert and those two jet-black negroes were probably brought across the sahara in caravans and sold in tunis as slaves there are also olive-skinned italians and greeks and rosy-cheeked people from malta a little island in the mediterranean not far away the streets are narrow and we are often crowded close to the walls now it is by a camel with a great load of wood and now by a donkey carrying fruit or dirty pigskins filled with oil we are jostled by the mules of rich arabs in turbans and gowns and we have to look out for the blind men who pick their way with their staffs in all parts of northern africa there are many blind people the sun is so dazzling that it hurts the eyes and flies and other insects cling to the eyelids sometimes causing the loss of sight now we stop at the stand of an arab who sells sweetmeats and candy and now at a booth where a long-gowned man is frying meat and selling it hot from the fire here a letter-writer is working away beside him is a jew money-changer and farther on are several fruit peddlers with fresh dates oranges and figs we are now in the bazaars where the narrow streets are covered with matting or boards there is no breeze and the air at times is terribly hot the merchants have their goods in little cave-like holes facing the street each street has its wares some being devoted to tailors others to saddlers to rug-sellers and to ironmongers there is much work going on here they are weaving silk wool or cotton there men and boys are working in brass and farther on they are embroidering leather we pause in one bazaar where a woman is buying henna to stain her fingernails and toenails red for she thinks that color most beautiful and at another we watch the merchants dealing out perfumes so costly that they are sold by the drop we often stop to price curios to take home to our friends the turban dealers ask us to drink coffee with them and we sit cross-legged on the floors of their stores and sip the rich brown liquid as we bargain together one of the merchants is very friendly and at his invitation we go with him to his house he takes us in and out through the winding streets and stops at last before a square white building in which slits take the place of windows the front door is richly carved we first enter a court surrounded by marble columns behind which are the rooms of the house there are soft rugs on the floors and wide divans about the walls our host motions us to take seats with him on the divans in oriental fashion we do so and by and by black-skinned white-gowned servants bring in trays of candies and sherbet the latter is a syrup which we eat with a spoon it is almost as thick as molasses and is delicious the little sons of our host come in and he presents them to us the boys cling to their father's knee as they look at us with wondering eyes he caresses them and we see that mohammedans are quite as fond of their children as our parents are of us at the end of our call we go to the jewish quarter here the men wear fez caps or turbans and gowns most of them shave the head leaving only a tuft of hair on the top the women wear trousers at home and on dress occasions some have velvet pantaloons decorated with silver or gold coins and bangles a girl may thus wear her whole fortune on her clothes 
is it not strange to see men in gowns and women in trousers on our way back to the hotel we visit some of the schools which have been established by the french they are to be found throughout tunis tunis has also a mohammedan university and mohammedan primary schools where young arabs and moors study the koran as well as the french language and other things we have already learned that northern africa has had an important part in the history of the world tunis and algeria were once the home of the phoenicians one of the greatest of the ancient nations and right here near tunis was carthage their most famous city carthage was so large that the wall around it was twenty-three miles long there were towers in the wall and casements in which were stabled three hundred elephants and four thousand horses for use in war the city was situated on a beautiful bay divided into two harbors it had docks for several hundred merchant ships and its vessels of war had iron beaks which could be driven into the ships of the enemy for a long time there were wars between carthage and rome the romans found the carthaginians such brave fighters that they decided that there would always be trouble unless carthage was destroyed after many defeats they succeeded in conquering the carthaginians and burned their city they even ploughed up the ground upon which it stood and made it into pastures where their sheep and goats fed watched by roman slaves later still tunis and algeria produced so much wheat that they became known as the granary of rome this place however was well fitted for a city and as time went on the romans re-established carthage and it again became great it was afterward torn to pieces by the vandals and finally destroyed by the mohammedans the site of this ancient city is only nine miles away and we drive out for a look at its ruins the vast buildings have all disappeared hardly one stone has been left upon another except in the old cisterns which supplied the city with water we find only a few bits of marble or earthenware among the ruins to take home as relics and we learn that the stones of the ancient palaces were used to build tunis and that for ages ships came here from italy and other parts of the mediterranean sea to carry away the marble columns mosaic floors bricks and beautiful tiles as we wander along the shores of the bay we try and picture to ourselves the boys and girls who sported here ages ago when tunis belonged to one of the world's greatest peoples End of chapter 7